The Bible says that God is the God of hope. This means that His very nature is hope. This message is the 10th in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Hope. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will. We're going to and your teaching sheets so we dive into the last message in this series of messages I will reset. I want to talk to us this weekend about resetting your hope. Now, just one thing I do want to mention. Next weekend, we start a four-week series actually from the land of Israel. We're going to take a look at experiencing God, and I'm going to give you some uh, modern answers from an ancient land. We're going to talk about next weekend discovering meaning and purpose in your life. The next weekend after that, we'll talk about how do you navigate life's problems and challenges. And then we'll talk about how do you experience God's peace and joy. And then the last week, the fourth weekend of the series, we'll talk about how to experience the power of God. So very important messages. You're going to get some, you're going to feel like that you have just taken off and landed in Israel. I promise you, you don't want to miss that. So be here as a part of it. Again, four weeks experiencing God. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you don't want to miss that. Go and tell them you don't want to miss that. All right. Okay. You do not want to miss that. All right. We've been involved in this series of messages starting actually last September, a larger series called Made for More, and we've been taking a look at the whole idea that Jesus Christ designed a life for you and I that's more than just any kind of life we could experience apart from Him. And Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 10, verse 10, what this life is all about. He said, the thief, that's the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I came so you can have life and have it to the full or have a more abundant life. He wants you to experience more in life. To experience this more kind of life, it's extremely important that we learn to walk with God. We're in a process, a journey of learning how to engage with God. How do we grow in our relationship with Him? How do we do things His way? And so as we learn to cooperate with God, we experience more of His life, more of His blessing in and through us. And this involves making good decisions along the way. One of those decisions is learning how to reset your life. I think all of us are familiar with the term reset. We talk about it in our computer world, in the technological world, that if your computer is acting up in some way, uh, any IT specialist will tell you the first thing you do is you reboot. Before you do anything else, you restart it. You reset it. You go through the process of letting it boot up again. Why? Because many times, a lot of the issues that you'll have problems with technologically are fixed just by a reboot. And the same is true in your life. There are times in your life, in my life, when we get off course with God, get off course in our relationships with other people, we get off course in our emotions, and we just simply need to reset, need to get back to where we need to be. And that's what God has been calling us to in this series together. We've been talking about how do you reboot your life, how do you reset. And I want to talk this weekend specifically about how to reset something that is extremely important in your life. As we wrap up this series together, I want to talk to you about how do you reset your hope. I want you to think with me for a moment about your own life. Think about maybe the last 12 months or the last 24 months or maybe even longer than that or maybe the last several weeks. Maybe you've gone through a painful disappointment. Maybe you've had a setback in your life. Maybe you've gone through a loss that you're still dealing with. Maybe there's something that's happened in your life that really was unexpected, a challenge that came your way. Maybe it's a long-lasting, nagging problem that has been around for a long, long time. Or maybe you just had something that failed that you'd hoped would have succeeded and it just didn't happen. Anytime these kind of events happen in life, and they do happen from time to time, they let us down. When they let us down, there's a, there's a very strong tendency that we all have to slip into something called hopelessness. Say that word with me, hopelessness. Hopelessness is a horrible thing. 
And hopelessness doesn't mean that you're just totally hopeless, but hopelessness kind of works on a scale, kind of a little bit hopeless to like totally hopeless to despair, just giving up completely. And many times we live our life somewhere between just a little bit hopeless and totally hopeless about something, and sometimes somewhere in between, and it robs us of the joy that Jesus has for us to experience. And so when you go through stuff in life that, leave, that will leave you a little bit hopeless or a lot hopeless, you have to learn how to reset your hope. You have to reset the hope so that there's hope in your soul. I'm going to talk to you this, this, this weekend about why this hope is so important. Let's look at some Bible verses, some scriptures that t- talk to us about the value of hope. I'm going to start actually with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. I know there's another verse there for you, but we'll skip that one tonight. I'll come back to a portion of it later. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Would you read this together with me aloud and loudly? All together as a congregation. Here we go. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The Apostle Paul said, I want you to build your life around three things, faith, hope, and love. Say those three with me, faith, hope, and love. Three essentials for your life, three things that you really cannot live without. You need faith, you need hope, you need love. Obviously, the greatest of these is love, but just because the greatest of these three is love doesn't mean the other two are not important. Would you agree that faith is important? Of course it is. Faith is how we please God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us you can't even please God without faith. And so if faith is important, certainly love is important, then hope is important as well. Listen to Romans 15 verse 13. Just let this verse get into your heart. May the God of hope, notice that. Who is he? The God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God's desire for you and me is that we would not only value hope from the standpoint of faith, hope, and love, it's one of the big three, but also realize that God wants to help us to actually overflow with hope by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So hope is a very important thing. We need to know some things about hope. So I'm going to share with you tonight three things that you need to know about hope that will help you to reset it when you begin to feel hopeless at some level in your life. Number one, you need to understand that hope is more than positive thinking. Sometimes we use the word hope in sort of a wishful thinking sort of way. Well, I kind of hope it's going to happen. We don't really think about the power of the word, but actually we, we have to realize that hope is much more than that. Hope really is not just about being optimistic. It's good to be optimistic. I believe it's a valuable thing to have an optimistic outlook on life. But being optimistic is not the same thing as hope. Hope goes deeper than optimism. Because actually, my optimism is a fruit of my hope. Because I have hope, I can be optimistic. If I don't have hope, then I will struggle. I will work hard to be able to maintain a sense of optimism or positivism about life. But I have hope, and I have a God kind of hope, and the God kind of hope allows me to look at life from a positive, optimistic perspective. See, the Bible says that our God is the God of hope. He's the God of hope. This doesn't just mean that God gives us hope. God is hope. God himself is hope. When you get around God, you get around hope. As surely as God is love, and as surely as God is truth, God is hope. And what does that mean? And the essence of God being hope, it means this. It means that God, by his foreknowledge, by his understanding, by who and what he is, he understands that where everything's going to end. That he can look now toward the end, and he's not bothered at all by it. 
because God knows the outcome already. In his omniscience, he already knows the outcome of all things. And because of that, he has hope. He is the God of hope because he knows how things are going to turn out in the end. And this is important for us as well because this is what allows us to have hope also because hope is not optimism. It's not based on this temporal thing of I'm kind of wishing things will go well. No, hope is based upon something much deeper than that. We have hope because we have a God who sees the beginning from the end and because he already sees the end and knows that everything is going to be okay. When we're in him, then we know that everything is going to be Okay, we can be confident. Listen to Romans chapter 8, 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced. That's a very important word. When someone is convinced of something, you can't change their mind, right? There's no flexibility with them. They've come to a settled decision, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is the kind of hope that carries us through life. We know that nothing can separate us from God's love and God's grace and God's goodness. We are in a good place because we serve a good God who already has everything worked out at the very end of all things. He sees it from beginning to the end. He is the God of hope because of his knowledge, because of his wisdom, because of his grace. He's the God of hope. Now what this means is this. Let me give you three things. It'll help you to understand why this hope is more than positive thinking, optimism. Biblical hope is based upon three things. I want you to get these three things down. It's based upon the promise of promises of God. Say that with me, the promises of God. You can help me out. The promises of God, the integrity of God, and the power of God. We can have hope because of those three things. What are they again? The promises of God, the integrity of God, and the power of God. This is why hope works in your life. Because when you have hope in God, you know that, number one, God has given to you promises that you live your life by. We'll come back to that in a moment. Okay, we'll talk about specifically how we address those promises in life. And every promise that God gives is backed up by His, what was the second word I gave you? His integrity. Okay, God never promises something that, he does, that, he's, that He's not truthful about. He doesn't hold things out. People will promise you things they never deliver on, Right? God never promises you, promises you something that he doesn't deliver on, okay? You've got to understand this. Very important. It's backed up by his integrity. This is his word. His character says, if I say I'm going to do this, I am going to do it, okay? And then it is backed up by his power to accomplish what he said he was going to do, right? So you can be well-intentioned. You can be, even have integrity in making a promise to someone, And you fully intend to deliver the promise, but if you don't have the power, the capacity to do it, then that's a part of the equation as well. So when we talk about hope in our life, hope is built upon the fact that the God that we serve has given us promises. Those promises stand firm in His integrity because God never lies to us, but it's not just a matter of saying He has good intentions for us. He has the power to actually accomplish it. That's why I have hope for eternal life. I have hope for eternal life because I have a promise based upon God's integrity that is backed up by his power. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's break this apart. What's the promise? Everlasting life. 
What is the, what's the pathway? What's the integrity? What's, what does God say? That if we will believe on His Son, that's the promise, we will have eternal life. And does God have the power to deliver on that promise? Of course He did. He proved it when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave. He said, I show you that I can get you to heaven because of what I did with my Son. If you're in Him, you'll, you'll be secure for eternity. So you've got to see these three things come together. So hope is not just walking around with your head in the clouds, having a bunch of wishful thinking about life and trying to be an optimist. No, I will tell you, every believer ought to be an optimist, not because they're simply trying to be optimistic, but because we serve a God of hope. We have something of value called a hope in our lives, okay? And hope is powerful. And this is where we have to get back to because those things that happen in life can drive us away from the promises of God and the the sense of God's integrity and the sense of God's power. And so we have to reset and come back to the reality. I'm not just a positive thinker. I'm a person of hope. I'm a person of hope. I have hope in my heart because of my relationship with God. Number two, the second thing. You need to know that hope is not optional. It's essential. My wife and I, of course, recently led the trip to Israel, and we had about 91 people from our church or different places that traveled with us. And uh, we, we've made the decision over the years, my wife and I, when we travel, that most of the time that we travel, almost 99.9% of the time now that we travel, we always travel with carry-ons. We, don't, we check no bags, okay? And the reason is because some of you have been through the lost bag scenario. You don't know what I'm talking about, right, okay? So... You know, if it's 10 days or 12 days or 3 days, whatever it is, we, we take a carry-on bag, right? And the way that we're able, some people say, you're kidding me, you went to Israel for 12 days and all you carried was a carry-on? Yes, because you learn what you really need, amen? There are certain things that you need. You ever gotten to a trip somewhere and you packed all this stuff that you never used, right? Okay. You had 45 pairs of shoes and you like, you know, 25 different tops, ladies, right? Okay and all this other stuff that you packed, and it was still in the suitcase. You never used it on the journey at all because you really didn't think about what do I really need? What can I do that's the essential for the journey, okay? And sometimes in life, what we do is we try to pack on a bunch of stuff in our, in our journey, in our, in our life, okay, that at the end of the day really does not matter. Go back to what Paul said. Now abide three things, faith, hope, and love. Make sure when you pack your bags for your life, you always put those three things in your bag, right? Faith, hope, and love. And so hope is one of those things. See, hope is the kind of thing that you want to make sure you're always carrying with you. As the old commercial used to say, don't leave home without it. Don't ever go on a journey without hope because you, you can't do life well without hope. Look at Hebrews 6 verse 19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. In other words, this hope is what gets us into relationship with God. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Now, what does an anchor do on a ship? An anchor on a ship or anchors on a ship settles it against the currents of the water and the currents of the wind. That's what an anchor anchor does. You put the anchors down on a boat because you know there are going to be certain currents of water that will try to push that boat off course or there will be certain currents of wind that will try to push that boat in the wrong direction. And so you set an anchor so that you do not drift. And the Bible says that hope needs to be an anchor for your soul. You better not go sailing without an anchor. 
You better not get on a ship without an anchor. You're going to need one. It's essential in our lives that we have this as well. Why? Because what does hope do for us? Let me talk to you about why hope is so valuable. What does it do to your life and for your life? It's, it's, hope is what gives you vision for your future. You know, a lot of people that have zero vision for their future, they're basically living for a, from a survival standpoint. How do I just get by today? And what I've learned in my own life and want to continue to learn and working with people is that when you don't have a vision for your future, future, you'll eventually go back to your past. The people without a vision for the future tend to recede back into past patterns and habits. And so hope gives you a vision. Without a vision, you're going to perish. It motivates you to move forward. It brings discipline to your life. Hope gives you courage, it gives you strength, it gives you persistence and patience. See, when you have hope, you can press through anything, can't you, okay? When you have hope, you say, well, it's tough right now, but I can see that on the other side of this mountain, there's going to be some beautiful things. When you have hope, it allows you to press through the darkest tunnels of life because you know, I'm going to see a light eventually at the other end of this tunnel. I'm going to find something on the other end of this thing. I can make my way through because hope is carrying me. Hope is what gives you rest and peace internally. And so that's why the Bible says that hope is, a, is an anchor for your soul. Let me ask you this question. Why would Satan target hope in your life? Why would Satan try to rob hope from you? Because if he can rob your hope, he can rob your vision, he can rob your motivation, he can rob your discipline, he can rob your courage and your strength, he can rob your persistence and your patience, he can rob your rest and your peace. If he can just sort of mess around with your hope and mess it up a little bit, then what he does, he's got you right where he wants you because he pulls you out of the game. He likes to steal hope from us. And when he robs you of hope... He robs you, really, of life, and that's why hope is not optional. Hope is essential. You need it in your life. The third thing I want to talk to you about, this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time getting very practical in these next few moments, is that you have to regularly nurture hope. Any, any good thing in your life will only be sustained by nurturing it. You can't just wish it into your life. You actually have to nurture it into your life. You have to do things that allow it to be there. And that's what hope is about. First of all, it's received by faith. You receive hope when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So hope is connected to faith, obviously, even as Paul taught us faith, hope, and love. But it's also maintained in your life by the right practices. Notice 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8. Why don't we read this together? Would you read it with me? Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So here the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, if you want to be godly, and part of godliness is to have hope, right? Because who is God? He's the God of hope. And so to be like God, you have to have hope in your life. And so for us to experience godliness, there's a, there's a training process involved. You have to put yourself into training. There's some exercises that you have to do for this to happen in your life. So I'm going to talk to you about 10 exercises or 10 practices that you can do when you find your hope slipping, okay? 
You don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you tonight, maybe at this point in your life, you're slipping in your hope somewhere. Maybe you lost your hope for your marriage. Or maybe you've lost hope about a financial situation you're in. Or maybe you've lost hope about your own spiritual journey, your own spiritual growth. I don't know where it might be, but maybe you're at some place where you just don't have the same amount of hope about something you used to have. How do you get back? to that place of hope again so that you're thriving, not just surviving, but you're thriving with hope. Here are 10 practices that are essential for you to do this, 10 exercises. Number one, you need to make sure that you refuel daily. You and I need to recalibrate with God every day because hope is a spiritual resource. And I will tell you that in each and every day of your life, you face, you face trouble every day, do you not, right? There's always, I mean, there's at least one problem you have to deal with every day, right? There's something that you and I are dealing with every day that's draining our resource from us. And just like we physically refuel every day, we, we eat and nurture ourselves physically, and we nurture ourselves by resting and sleeping so that we're ready for the next day. In the same way, spiritually, this is what we must do. You and I need to be in a habit of being with God on a consistent basis. And why is this important? Because I've learned this. When my hope begins to wane, when I begin to lose hope about something in my life, and I get around God, okay, I just get into God's presence. I get into His presence by spending time with Him, by just opening up my Bible and starting to read, by just getting on my knees or pulling out a pencil and starting to write out my prayers to God. When I begin to engage with God, as soon as I sincerely engage with God, I'm engaging with hope because He is the God of hope. And it's just like being around a positive person. You ever, been around, you ever been in a situation before where you were just really down? You got around a person that was really positive, And when you were around them, suddenly you felt better because you'd been with them, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, the same is true when you're with God. That when you hang around with God, you get a fresh dose of hope. And many of us try to go into our day, and we try to live our day without having the fuel that we need. It's like trying to run your car without any gasoline, okay? You know, that's what that little gauge on your car is for, right? Okay, one side says E and the other side says F, right? Many of you didn't realize that's what that gauge was for, okay, right? Some of you always live on the E side to see how far you can go just to get by. And that's the way many of us live spiritually. We just say, can I eat by? Just kind of go by. How much can I, how far can I go without having to get back in relationship with God or spend time with Him? And I want to encourage you in your life, if you're going to keep hope, alive in you. You've got to refuel that hope every day. Spend time with God. I tell you what, something about spending time with God, when you do it, it's addictive in a good way. You'll get to a place where you can't live without it, okay? Number two, focus on God's goodness. I want to tell you today, just remember this, the God that we serve, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a good God, okay? You don't need to be afraid of Him. You fear Him and the sense of reverencing Him. Of course, we all fear God. The Bible teaches us to have a reverence for God. But you don't need to be afraid in, a, in, a, in an intimidated way about God because God is very, very good. And I want to encourage you to learn what the Bible says about God. Who is He? What is His nature? And what the Bible says about you. Who are you in God? You are a precious creation of God. God has tremendous plans in store for your life. And so you begin to realize... This is who I am in God, in Jesus Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. You begin to realize these things because there's nothing like promises from God, promises about God's goodness to get you through whatever you're facing in life. So you're only one promise away from incredible overflowing hope in your life right now.
If you're hopeless, all you need is one good promise. It'll get you through. One good promise from God will get you through. So focus on God's goodness. Number three, this will be interesting for you, perhaps. The third thing I would say to you if you want to maintain your hope and, and reset your hope is to make sure you stay in your own lane. Stay in your own lane. One of the greatest robbers of hope in your life is comparing yourself with other people. It's such a temptation that we have in life is to compare ourselves with other people. And what happens is when you start comparing yourself with someone else, it's just like when you're running a race. Have you seen the races where all the runners have their lanes that they're in, right? Okay. And if you get your eyes off of your lane, you get your eyes on the lane to your right or to your left. What's going to happen with your running? You're going to drift into somebody else's lane and you're going to disqualify, right? You'll, it'll slow you down. You'll disqualify. You'll, you'll not run the race that you need to run. And here's, this is why it happens to us. I think a lot of times when we start going through stuff in life, and things are hard and challenging for us, we have the tendency to find the people for whom things are going really well and say, look at them. Why do they have it so good? Okay? Look at my life. It's bad. Look at their life. It's good. And so we start comparing ourselves with people who seem to have it better than we do, right? And before long, all that does is it actually makes our hopelessness worse. Correct? Okay. Because that comparison gets you out of your lane. Here's the good news. If you'll stay in your lane, there's enough of God's grace for you. It's sufficient for you as long as you stay in your lane. If I try to run your race, I don't have grace to run your race. Are you with me here? I don't have the grace to run your race. I only have, God only promises me grace for my race, okay? And so if I'm trying to run somebody else's race because I'm comparing myself with them, then I'm going to find myself depleted of resources spiritually. And so get back in your own lane. God has good plans for you, amen? It might be tough right now. It might be challenging right now. It may make you feel hopeless at times right now. But you just stay in your lane because I promise you, your lane is a good lane. God has a good lane for you. In fact, uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, the scripture says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that promise is for you. So stay in your lane. Turn to your neighbor and say, get back in your lane. Go and tell them, get back in your lane, all right? Don't try to run somebody else's lane. Number four, continually adjust your perspective. Here's what happens to us. When you're going through tough stuff and it happens for a long period of time, what happens is oftentimes you get the perspective that that one thing, that problem in your life defines your whole life. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? That that, whole, that one thing that tough thing that you're going through begins to cloud your perspective about everything. Let's say you're going through a marriage problem, a difficult marriage situation in your life. And you begin to focus in on that marriage problem. But before long, everything's bad because of that one problem. Because you're seeing it through the lens of that one problem. And that's normal. It's natural to, do, to look at life through whatever you're experiencing. But what I want you to see is that your life is bigger than whatever your problem is right now. Amen. Your life's way bigger than that, okay? One or two problems doesn't define your whole life. Are you hearing me? Come on, help me out, church. The devil would like nothing more than make you think that that problem you have in your life right now defines everything. No, it doesn't. 
It's a problem. It's an issue. Yes, you're going to have to work on it and address it and work through it. And yes, there's something on the other side of that issue for you. But that's not defining every part of your life. That's only one part of your life. And so sometimes you have to step back and take a look at the broader picture and say, you know what? Yes, this is difficult, but look at the blessing that is in my life. Look at what God is doing. Look at not just the situations that are tough or difficult, but let's take a look and see the places where the blessing of God has been on my life. And so you get a new perspective. You step back. You adjust your perspective. Perspective oftentimes is everything. Number five, if you want to have hope and reset your own hope, you need to build hopescapes in other people. This is important. I'm going to define that for a moment. Build hopescapes. What's a hopescape? You know what a hopescape is? A hopescape is something you draw in the life of another person. Okay? That when you're going through a tough time, one of the best things you can do is find somebody else who's going through a tough time and just pour hope into them. You know why? Because if I can, if I can begin to get out of my problem and my hopelessness, and I begin to pour hope into you, I start building a picture for you. You know, yeah, God, you know, you're, you're going through some tough things right now, but God's got a future for you. God's got some incredible things in store for you. And so I begin to pour into another person. Then what it does is it takes me out of my problem, and I begin to minister to someone else. And you cannot give without receiving. Every time you give. There's something that happens. There's this reciprocity in God. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, so the principle is when we give, when we serve, there's always something that comes back to us. Every time you serve somebody else, there's a blessing that comes back your way. And so if you're hopeless, go find somebody else who's hopeless and get out of your hopelessness and begin to pour hope into them. And guess what will happen? There'll be some hope that will come in back into your life as well. Okay. So you just, you just walk around, be a hopescape drawer. Just say, hey, I want to build some hope in your life. I want to build some hope in your life. I want to communicate some hope to you. And you'll find that that's an encouragement that happens in your own soul. Number six. The sixth thing you have to do if you're going to reset your hope is you have to check your emotions. Let me explain what I mean by that. To check your emotions means you keep a check on your emotions. It means you actually check up on them. Because, see, hopelessness will get you quickly if you don't catch it on the front end. If you don't realize it's starting to get a grip on you, it'll drag you all the way over here before you know it. It gets you into the pit of despair and you have no hope for your future, no, nothing positive for your life. Because if you're not careful, it, there's a, it's a very quick journey down that pit. It's like quicksand. Quicksand, if you get in it, it's not long before you're sucked in by it, right? So what you want to do is you want to develop a sensitivity to when my hope meter is going down, okay? When is that little hope meter starting to go in the wrong direction? And so I can be aware of this so that I can address it quickly on the front end before I get pulled into the pit of despair. Number seven, the seventh thing that's valuable to you is to learn to journey, journal your journey. That's learn the value of writing stuff down. Write down your thoughts. Write down your prayers. Write down your pain. Write down your challenges and work your way through them. Evaluate them in the light of God's love. I do this almost every day of my life. I take time to write stuff out. My prayers or my 
by things I'm walking through. I don't keep them all, but I will write through it because I can see it on a piece of paper. I can look at it and say, God, I need to give this to you. And so there's a journaling dimension of this that helps you to stay aware of what's happening in your soul. Number eight, celebrate your blessings. If you want to keep your hope strong, celebrate your blessings. I mentioned this a moment ago. See, just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're grateful. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're grateful. There are a lot of people who are blessed, but they're not grateful. Okay? Case in point. Ten men came to Jesus one day, ten lepers, and said, Jesus, we want to be healed. Can you heal us, Jesus? And Jesus healed all ten of them and said, go show yourself to the priest, right? How many of them were healed that day? All ten of them were healed. They go to the priest. As they were going, the Bible says they were healed as they made their journey to the priest to get reaffirmed and brought back in community. Were all ten of them blessed? Were they? All ten of them were blessed. No question. They were blessed by healing. Out of those ten, one guy said, I think I need to go back and tell him thank you. I just, just stay with me for a moment. Are you there? Okay. He just had the the frame of reference, the awareness, the wisdom to say, you know what, I've been blessed. I think it would be a good thing to do before I go to the priest, just to go back and say thank you to the one that did this for me. And out of the ten, all ten of them were blessed. But out of the ten, one of them came back and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the Bible says that there in that encounter... Jesus spoke back to him and didn't just say, go and be healed. He said, go and be whole. He experienced something more from Jesus because he came back with a grateful heart. I think one of the biggest challenges we have in our world today is grumbling. Discontentment and grumbling about life and a failure to simply be grateful. And when you're a grumbler, watch out because you're just, you're just let, you just open up a big old hole in your soul to let hope just run out, okay? But when you're grateful, you're plugging those holes and you're keeping a heart that is filled up with hope, not only for yourself, but to share with others. Two more. Number nine. The ninth thing is check your vocabulary. I want to encourage you to stop cursing yourself. You know, there are some people that are kind to other people, but cruel to themselves. Are you hearing me? Some people actually bless, encourage other people, inspire other people, but they curse and discourage and deflate themselves by their own self-talk. And sometimes your biggest enemy is not even the devil. Sometimes your biggest enemy is you. Because you're the one carrying on a conversation with yourself, okay? And in your head, if you're not careful, the words that you speak to yourself can be very demeaning and very belittling and very hopeless. And so the words of your mouth... The words that you speak, the Bible says the tongue has the power of life and death. And so it's not just a matter of the words we speak to others. It's also a matter of the words that we speak to ourselves. And so we want to get an adjustment on our self-talk to make sure that, uh, that we realize that our thoughts have power and our thoughts have capacity. And so to check our thinking and to check our self-talk. And the last one actually is going to bring us to something we'll do today. I want to talk to you about appreciating communion. Most folks don't realize that one of the things that, G- that Jesus gave us as his people 
as something to do on a consistent basis, on some regular basis, as, as the people of God is together around the table called the communion table or the Lord's table. Some churches refer to it as the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. And Jesus said, I want you to take a little piece of bread, take a piece of bread, take a cup, and I want you to eat of this bread and drink of this cup. And when you do so, do so in remembrance of me. Not in remembrance of you, but in remembrance of me, okay? So communion that we're going to celebrate in just a few moments together, who's it in remembrance of? Help me out, church. Who's it in remembrance of? Jesus. Now, why would we have a piece of bread and a cup to drink of? And what, what's, what's that all about? I'll show you what it's, it's, it's actually. It's actually a hope meal. Okay. It's a hope meal. It's a way that we can come back time and time again on a consistent basis and rekindle our hope because we are remembering who? Jesus. So when you take that piece of bread, as we're going to do in a few moments, okay, what are we remembering? We're remembering that Jesus Christ loved us enough that he took on every sin that we've ever committed or will ever commit. And he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for that sin completely. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Are you with me on this? Whatever you've ever done wrong and you deserve to be judged by God for, okay? You deserve to be punished for what you did wrong. Jesus, when you hold that piece of bread, you're remembering that Jesus took every one of those sins, yours, all of us, collective together, all of humanity, for all of history. And when he went to the cross, the Father put the penalty, the judgment of the sins of the world upon Christ. I can't even imagine that. That's why Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment he was facing the judgment of the sins of all the world for all humanity, for all time. And the father turned his back on his very own son in that moment of judgment placed upon Jesus. And I think about, I think that gives me hope, doesn't it you? Okay. That I don't have to live in condemnation. I don't have to live in fear of God. God has made a way for me to have relationship with Him because of what Christ did. He knew that I couldn't save myself, so He sent a Savior for me and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so now communion becomes a visual point when I hold that piece of bread and I eat of it together as we do as a church. We're eating this in remembrance of Jesus and remembrance of Him. And there's a hope that says, you know what? God took the initiative to get me into relationship with Him. That's how much He loved me. He loved me so much that He sent His only Son into the world so that I could have a relationship with Him. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. Tremendous. If that doesn't stir your soul, we need to pray for you, okay? Because that, that's exciting to realize. And then we take that cup. What does that cup represent? Represents the blood of Jesus. That every time you drink this cup, do so what? In remembrance of me. What is that about? In remembrance of me. In remembrance of me, the blood represents the forgiveness of our sins, but it also represents something else I want to highlight. It represents authority over the adversary. You know how Jesus conquered the devil? By the shedding of his blood, okay? By the shedding of his blood, he conquered the works of darkness. He shut down the forces of hell. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. That's why we sing songs like that. 
because there's power in the blood. Power, yes, for forgiveness. We, we understand the value of, of God's forgiveness washing us and cleansing us, but there's also power over the adversary. Jesus is not waiting to conquer the enemy one day. Jesus already has conquered the enemy. Amen? In his, in his death and resurrection by the shedding of his blood, there is victory that has already been won. And so now we are in relationship not just with God who made a way for us through Jesus Christ, but also the same God through his son Jesus Christ by his blood has given us access to victory in our lives. We no longer have to live with an attitude of defeat. We can know that all things are working together for the good of them that know God and love God and, and working according to his purpose. We have this confidence in our lives that comes from the presence precious blood of Jesus. So every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are, we are, we are invited to the hope table, okay? The hope table is the, set, the table that says there's still hope for you. There's hope for your life. And in just a few moments, that's what we're going to do together. But what I want to do right now as we're getting prepared, preparing for that is to remind you that if you've lost your hope, if you're losing your hope, if you're struggling with hope, that God brought you here this weekend to say, now is the time for a hope reset. Amen? Because God wants to refresh in you the hope that provides you an anchor for your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so very grateful that you've spoken to us. We ask you'll take this message. And I pray especially for people who are going through a hopeless time in their life right now. I pray that you'd help them to find renewed hope this evening. Lord, let this, let this word find resonance in each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I also pray tonight for anyone that's here, perhaps has never given their life to Jesus. I pray that in this moment, they would open their heart to you. This will be their moment to receive Christ in their life. We ask it in your name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. 
And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.